What up, world? Pass first point guard and Blazer beat writer Mike Richmond. You are listening to another episode of Locked on Blazers, part of the Locked on Podcast Network, available wherever you get podcasts. Today's show is also another edition of Mailbag Monday, answering listener-submitted questions all episode long. This is our weekly Mailbag episode, so if this is your first Mailbag Monday, welcome. If this is your 70th Mailbag Monday, welcome. If you want to get involved, there's two ways to do it. You can tweet at me, at Mike G. Rich on Twitter. You can just send me a tweet whenever you're thinking of a question. Helps if you explain that it's Mailbag Monday and you aren't just sending me a random tweet, but I'll figure it out. I'm pretty smart. Or you can wait for nine around 9 a.m. Pacific Time Monday mornings when I send out a tweet soliciting questions. If you respond to that tweet, I'll do my best to get you in the show. If you're not a Twitter user or just someone who doesn't tweet, you can also email the show. The address is LockedOnBlazersPod at gmail.com. That's LockedOnBlazersPod at gmail.com. Send me a note. We'll get you in the show. Like I said, we do this every week, off-season, post-season, regular season, whatever season. Mailbag Monday rolls along. So let's just go ahead and get it rolling. Tim has our first question. Tim asks, COVID, what does this mean for us on December 22nd? Blazers had three positive tests this week. I talked about it in the previous episode. If you've not listened to that, there's more details waiting for you in your feed, the episode right before this one. Um, Basically, here's the rules. Uh, One player, we've confirmed one player has tested positive for the Blazers. And by we, I mean Terry Stotts told uh, the media today at his uh, press conference. So the rules are such that in the NBA is basically uh, players players and, and uh, staff members who have a positive test will have to stay away for at least 12 days. So players who tested positive, you know, this, over the weekend or, or late last week will be unavailable for games played this week. Uh, the Blazers preseason begins this week. So they wouldn't be available to play in a game Friday. But assuming that these are the only, po- only positive tests for the, in the, at least in the near future, Everyone should be good to go, or theoretically, uh, everyone should be available on December 22nd. Obviously, there's plenty of other complications beyond just passing the 12-day protocol. Listen, um, this is going to be a part of the NBA season all year long. It's The pandemic is worse now than it was when the league decided that it needed to shut down and then restart in a bubble. So um, this isn't going to be the first time we talk about COVID and the Blazers uh at least now we'll be familiar with the protocol when it comes up again. Next question comes from Dr. J. Dr. J asks, given the condensed schedule, I'm assuming we may even have a back-to-back-to-back in the second half to make up missed games like they did after the lockout, will Terry Stotts finally buy into the load management, excluding players like Hood, who will likely not play back-to-backs, etc.? So the NBA today released uh, protocols saying that uh, players could not sit out nationally televised games. And there's some specific specifics about, uh, you know, nationally televised games against teams that went deep into the playoffs. Basically, they're just trying to preserve their TV money because um, the reason they're having a season is for the money in any case. But the reason I don't think Terry Stotts has been uh, someone to embrace load management is because the Blazers haven't been very good. Um, look at the on-off numbers when Damian Lillard is out of the game. They just they just haven't had the luxury. Certainly last season at no point, and even in prior seasons, they really just they really just haven't had the luxury to have um, their their best guys take a night off. They would like load management for Damian Lillard is a loss for the Blazers. That's what it looks like. Um, 
you know, maybe you can find ways to squeeze out games, but the Blazers were two and four when he sat out. And they were, even in the games, even just like minutes he was on the bench, they were terrible. They were a well below average basketball team. Uh, I think it would be nice if the Blazers could embrace it because I think Dame has been worn down mentally and physically when they've gone on deep playoff runs. It'd be really nice if he could take some some minutes off him during the regular season. Um, it that's That would just be good. I'd be in favor of them um, trying to figure out how to load manage it. But the team just hasn't been good enough for them to be able to do it. It's just, it's not a philosophy thing as much as just a reality thing that they would lose those games. And they, they haven't been in situations where they could, you know, punt on three, four, five games a year and still be um, in the playoff position they want to be in. Dr. J sent along a part two of the question, which reads a similar schedule question. It has been said in the past that there is very little practice in the regular season as few stretches with more than a day off in between games. Given what we know about the schedule, what impacts do you think this will have on the Blazers integrating so many new and returning players? Yeah, I don't think they're going to practice more this season. If anything, I might guess that they'll practice less this year. Uh, if the the new guys getting integrated into this into the season happens now, it happens over the strange, compact, and very short preseason. Um, LeBron James pointed out today in his availability with the media um, that this was the shortest off season that any of the major North American sports had ever had. Cool 70 days between the finals and the tip-off of the next game. Blazers obviously didn't play deep into October, but they still are dealing with this shortened preseason, right? Um, it's the guys are going to get integrated now um, and you're going to do it by watching film and you're going to learn on the court. Uh, I don't, I do not think this season sees more practice. Um, it's, it's not, it's kind of the direction the whole league is going is less practice. I don't think it's necessarily a good thing for, I think like, I think NBA players probably don't need a ton of practice, but no practice is probably the wrong amount. And the Blazers were trending towards no practice for a lot of last season. Next question comes from Vegan Mindset Coach at Mindset Vegan on Twitter, who asks, how does the new rest po- resting policy affect our Blazers? Are we in any danger of being fine this year? Could Dame and CJ be wanting, needing games to rest with so many back-to-backs? So, um, first of all, shout out to Vegan Mindset Coach for having not only collective pronouns in this question, but they're capitalized in the tweet. Our and we are capital. That is how that is how it's done, y'all. That is a that is pro collective pronouning. Um yeah, like like I said, I mentioned this in the in the previous uh in the in the previous questions why I grouped these together is that the league doesn't want people sitting out marquee games. So the Blazers aren't going to do that against the good teams. Um they they won't be able to do that against good teams fear of 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 you know, six digit fines. Uh, I don't think it'll really be an impact. Again, the Blazers are not going to be good enough this year where they can punt on games and have Dame rest. It would be really nice. It's the direction you'd wish this team could go and maybe they'll surprise me and be a little bit better. But the teams who have been able to get away with it are um, super deep and talented and can kind of... um, pick and choose which stars rest and which stars don't. So, um, you know, if CJ takes a a serious step forward this year and is a true, true star, it makes it much easier to rest Dame. And and I guess it would be nice if the Blazers could figure out a way to get CJ a couple nights off in there, here and there. I'm not someone who doesn't think that nights off matter. Like, I'm not like, these 48 minutes won't matter. It all matters. I just don't think the Blazers have a roster to have the luxury to do it. And so the resting policies against having them sit in marquee games won't matter. Blazers don't have a ton of national TV games. It will have zero impact on them. 
Next question comes from Jacob, who asks, who is the most likely Blazer to be dissatisfied with playing time this year, if anyone? Do you think guys will be unhappy with their roles? The depth at forward seems like a problem. Yeah, they definitely have, when healthy, they definitely have have more guys who can play on a given night than can than can help. Uh, who's dis, most dissatisfied? My guess is it'll be someone like Derek Jones Jr., who might end up as a starter, but and then not playing like a major minutes that he wants to play. It could be Zach Collins if he gets squeezed, if the team is really committed to Ennis Cantor. It could be Ennis Cantor, who if Zach Collins comes back and they want to prioritize defense on that second unit, they go that direction and not him. Could be Anthony Simons, who I think is very likely to pick up some straight-up DNPCDs. That's a did-not-play-coach's decision when the team's healthy just because he's the odd man out. He is the worst of the guards, and you can kind of squeeze by playing Dame, CJ, Rodney, and Gary Trent Jr. at the one and the two and just figuring it out from there. That's that's easy to do and have Dame get squeezed. Or, excuse me, have Ant get squeezed. So... My like, if I had to put my finger on someone, I would say Zach Collins because he's going to be coming back later and be harder to, um, you know, it'll be a, a another challenge to integrate him into the rotation. But um, Ant would be my number two pick because I think he's going to have a reduced role this year. Just looking at how things stack up and judging by kind of the way Terry talks a little bit about how he's going to treat the backup point guard position in his uh, media day press conference. All right, let's come back in the second segment and. Answer more of your questions. But before I do that, I want to tell you all about Headspace. Life is stressful, and 2020 has likely added a layer of stress in a variety of ways, perhaps multiple layers of stress to your life. So you need stress relief that goes beyond quick fixes, and that's Headspace. Headspace is your daily dose of mindfulness in the form of guided meditations in an easy-to-use app. Headspace is one of the only meditation apps advancing the field of mindfulness and meditation through clinically validated research. So whatever the situation, Headspace really can help you feel better. You overwhelmed? Headspace has three-minute SOS meditation for you. Need some help falling asleep? Headspace has wind-down sessions that their members swear by. And for parents, Headspace even has morning meditations you can do with your kids. Headspace's approach to mindfulness can reduce stress, improve sleep, boost focus, and increase your overall sense of well-being. And Headspace is backed by 25 published studies on its benefits, 600,000 five-star reviews, and over 60 million downloads. Headspace makes it easy for you to build a life-changing meditation practice with mindfulness that works for you on your schedule, anytime, anywhere. Look, you deserve to feel happier, and Headspace is going to help you do that because it's meditation made simple. Go to headspace.com slash locked on MBA right now. That's headspace.com slash locked on MBA for a free one month trial with access to Headspace's full library of meditations for every situation. This is the best deal offered right now. So go to headspace.com slash locked on NBA today. Right. So let's keep it rolling with Mailbag Monday. Shout out to Dre Slaps for the music. Follow him on Instagram at Wow Slaps. Or visit the website, rarevibe.com. Buy some merch. He's got some dope t shirts on there. Support local artists. It's the right thing to do. All right, let's keep it rolling with Mailbag Monday. This next question comes from Nick. Nick asks, outside of rebounding during a pandemic, do the Blazers assistant coaches have specific roles in the organization? I think Tibbetts is player development, but I'm unclear what the other folks' roles are. 
Adam Nakamura at Adam Naka 28 asks, could you briefly highlight the assistant coaches and their roles? I feel like we know a lot about stats, but I would like to know more about the other coaches who Dame and the rest of the players praise on a yearly basis. All right, so let's let's just run down them real quick. Nate Tibbetts is the associate head coach. He was promoted to that um, role in 2019, and he mostly runs the defense. Um, that had been David Vanderpool's job. He's kind of the defensive coordinator, and then he left to take the associate head coach job in Minnesota, and with his departure, Tibbetts received his promotion to associate head coach. He's not the only defensive coordinator. Dale Osborne is the other uh, defensive coordinator on the roster. Osborne has been on the, he's an original member of Stotts' staff. Um, he's uh, Coach Oz, as he's called, or as known around those parts. First of all, as cool and as friendly as they come. But he's a basketball lifer. Dude has been, you know, worked in uh, several G League teams, worked in, uh, worked at South Alabama, his, his alma mater, and was a really successful college basketball coach there. I mean, he's just, he's been in the game forever. Next assistant coach, John McCullough, who was Terry Stotts's uh, collegiate teammate. McCullough was an advanced scout for the Blazers for about four seasons, and now he is entering, I believe, his fourth season as an assistant coach on uh, Stotts's bench. Next assistant coach is Jim Moran. Jimmy Moe, as he's known. Uh, he's He was promoted to a front-of-the-bench role. Um, basically, got, you know, the coaching staff all kind of sits together in a little pod, some guys are relegated to behind the bench. Some guys sit on the bench. Jimmy Moe got moved up to uh, to front of the bench in 2019, started the 2019-20 season. He started as a video coordinator and kind of just like he's a big, he's like a former professional basketball player in Spain. Um, and he was he's, he was just like a big body who could practice with um, NBA players. And But he was promoted from that uh, video coordinator position to assistant coach. And he spent the last four seasons as assistant coach. Last year, Blazers hired a new assistant coach, Gennaro Pargo, former NBA point guard who played for a whole bunch of teams. Lakers, Raptors, Bulls, Knicks, Hornets, Hawks, Wizards, Charlotte. I don't know what version of Charlotte. I think the Bobcats. Maybe the Bobcats and the Hornets. I think he's a Bobcat Hornet. But Pargo will be entering his second season with the Blazers this year. So while Dale, while while Oz and Tibbetts both have... um, both have defined roles in in their defensive coordinator roles, and in in some ways, John McCullough does a little bit of the offense. But he's not; they don't have an offensive coordinator the way they have defensive coordinators. Some some teams it's very common to split those those roles up. The Blazers don't really do that. It's more of a collective approach, at least the way Stotts has explained it to me. So all of those guys work in player development. All of those guys do scouts. You they divide up the teams, and you do it. You do you have an opponent scout, and it's your scout and your team. Uh, I've written about this before NBC Sports, but if it's your scout, you get to call the first play of the game that you get to design from whole cloth. Uh, that's a fun little thing that Stotts lets them do. But it's um it's more collaborative than specific. Like everyone works in player development because everyone's on the court rebounding and and doing skill work with stuff. Um, Tibbetts is was sort of famed for that, but he he still does it. Jim Moran still does it. Um, when you're at the Blazer practice facility, you'll see other guys out there, other vi- video coordinators and, and some support support staff just rebounding and stuff. Uh, Stott said today in his call with the media that he's actually been rebounding because of um, the lack of n- number of people allowed in the uh, in the facility and the positive COVID tests. So he he was out there rebounding for Car- Carmelo Anthony today, getting back there to his roots. Nick, 
Adam, I hope that answers your questions about the Blazers uh, coaching staff and their roles within the team. This next question comes from James in Beaverton who asks, you state you are not a Portland tra- fan of the Portland Trailblazers, so as a writer, would you prefer the Blazers to be a great team or terrible? I would think that getting to write about internal strife, who's getting fired or traded, etc. would be more interesting than so the Blazers win their fifth straight. Yeah, this is, this is tough. I think... Um, it's easier to write about a winning team. People are in good moods. Uh, the stories are good. You're writing positive things. You're asking guys about stuff they're happy about. Always easier to write about a winning team. Uh, it's it's easier to write. I've, I haven't really done this because the Blazers have the one year they were supposed to be truly bad. They won 44 games and made the playoffs. Easiest year to write about ever. They overachieved. Overachieving, the easiest thing to write about. But... Um, truly bad teams are a little bit looser. Uh, so it's, it's easier to they're not as upset about losses basically um because they know you know they're gonna they're gonna lose 50 times a year so it's 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 just easier to cover them because expectations are lower and, and each loss isn't as painful as it has been for the blazers who have you know playoff and even at times championship aspirations over the uh six plus seasons i've been around the team so i do think there's something to be said for sort of their like total uh shit storm teams to cover i think there's some um you know there would be some entertainment in covering a circus, but uh, just in general, as a writer, like to the easiest thing to do is to write about a good team. So, in general, that's easier. Uh, so there, my sweet spot is somewhere in between, like really good team and and um, and total circus. I think like um, team that underachieves and has to figure it out is kind of where I've I've done my best writing. But um, the, uh, it's a real challenge. A team that's supposed to be good and is bad, like um, the Blazers were in 2016-17, that was the hardest year I ever had on the beat because they were supposed to be good and they ended up, um, you know, they were nine games below 500 when they traded for Nurk. They were bad. All right, let's come back in the third segment, close out the show with more of your questions. But before I do that, I want to tell you all about Built Go from the good people that make Built Bar comes built go it is a healthy replacement for your energy drink but the energy is not fake it's lasting and natural comes in these little easy to carry around one and a half ounce packages and three delicious flavors peanut butter honey coconut chocolate coconut and chocolate mint look these things just help you break through your wall if it's a physical wall if it's a mental wall Maybe you uh, worked your full day job and have to record a podcast. Well, that's Bill Go is going to charge you up to get you through 25 to about 35 minutes of a glorious audio. Say you finished your podcast, but you, you want to work out this evening. Well, grab Bill Go, help you break through that physical wall, get a workout in just before you eat some dinner. Maybe this is specific to me, but I bet you could fill in the blanks for you. And I bet you're wondering, Michael, how does Built Go work so well? Well, let me tell you, it's because it combines energy gel with collagen protein. And collagen protein is fast absorbing and it gets into your system fast and it's easy on your stomach. It's also loaded with good stuff to ignite your work like beta alanine, B3, honey, and a kick of caffeine. It's about the same amount of caffeine as a regular cup of coffee, 100 milligrams. Built Go then keeps you going because it's got B6 and 10,000% of your daily percentage of B12. It's like five-hour energy without the crash, and it's natural, so it's better for your body. Get your hands on some of these. Go to BuiltGo.com and use the promo code LOCKED. You'll get 20% off your next order. That's promo code LOCKED for 20% off at BuiltGo.com. Let's go. It's 
Still a pass first point guard. Still Mike Richmond. Still listen to Locked on Blazers. And we're still rolling through Mailbag Monday. This next question comes from Benz, who asks, This Blazer team seems like a very calm and collected team. However, since they're going all in for a championship, tempers will flare and fights may break out. Which player or coach do you think will have the most technicals this year? So, Benz, I kind of don't agree with the premise that because they're trying to win a championship, there's going to be more fights. I feel like the beef happens when teams are bad. But regardless, uh, the question can still stand even if I disagree with the premise. Who's going to have the most texts this year? Give me CJ McCollum, followed by Yusuf Nurkic. I think a head-to-head battle between CJ Nurk, followed by battle for three. I would say Zach Collins, but I don't think he's going to have playing time and he's going to miss a month of the season. So Carmelo Anthony is your third, third most likely. Dame is just, he's a star, man. He's allowed to yell. He's allowed to yell at the refs. He can just, he can get away with it better than others. Uh, and CJ is is known to get a little feisty from time to time. So I'm going I'm to say CJ is my pick for most techs on the team. Next question comes from Jonathan, who asks, how do you think the Blazers match up against the Jazz? And who do you think would win in a seven-game series? Jonathan, this is hyper-specific. I feel like... Um, I feel like this is because I was saying that Blazer fans are obsessed with the Jazz, and you're like, no, but for real, I, for real, put put your cards on the table, Michael. Tell me if, if the Blazers are better than the Jazz. Maybe this is just a random specific thought you've had, or maybe this is promoted. This is prompted by me on the a previous mailbag when I told, I believe it was Adam Nakamura to chill out with his with his beef against the Jazz. Regardless, I think those teams are super even. Like, I think the Lakers are clearly in tier one by themselves. I think tier two is the Clippers kind of by themselves, but they're kind of in um, like 2A. And then 2B is like extremely crowded. I think Utah is there. I think Dallas is there. I think Denver is there. I think Portland is there. I thought Houston was there, but they might suck. Um, There's a chance that Phoenix is right in there. There's a chance. And then I think there's a sort of step below where I think it's occupied by Phoenix and New Orleans. Maybe the Spurs, but I don't think they're a good basketball team. But that middle tier, that that Portland, Denver, Utah, Dallas. I haven't said Memphis because I, I kind of think they're going to regress, y'all. I, I've got them. Memphis, I've got circled for a slight regression. But that Portland, Dallas, Denver, Utah uh, quartet, I think those teams are super even. Specifically, the Blazers have matched up well against the Jazz. Um, Dame is undeterred by Rudy Gobert's defensive abilities. Um, they... They haven't really locked up to sort of... They always seem to have trouble with the Joe Inglis, Rudy Gobert pick and roll, um, maybe because they've been bad on defense and they're bad against all pick and rolls. But uh, in general, I think the Blazers match up okay against the Jazz. Uh, I think it, I think it would be a coin flip in the in the playoffs, and whoever had home court advantage I'd probably pick. Uh, but... I don't think you could make a compelling case that either one of those teams is significantly better. Although I'm sure you dear listeners are screaming that the Blazers are much better than the jazz and I'm an idiot. Um, so maybe, maybe you're making a compelling case and I'm just not convinced, but yeah, I think the Blazers match up fine with the jazz. Um, I don't think they have any specific weaknesses against Utah. And I think those teams are going to be really, really even right in that same, same sort of, uh, battling for the last couple home court advantage spots in the West spots. 
Next question comes from Tim from Gmail, who asks, what kind of personalities are Rocco and Derek Jones Jr.? Actually, Tim sent a long, several-paragraph email, and I've condensed it down to this one question. Um, so, Derek Jones Jr., I, I haven't interacted with these guys. It's one of the problems with, um, you know, of, of the many problems in our currently facing our society. The pandemic has made um, just like shooting the shit with NBA players more difficult for Michael Richmond. Even just like beyond sort of like, they, they probably wouldn't have had anything more than these their formal introduction interviews. But even after them, if they're in person, you can kind of introduce yourself, chat, get to know guys, kind of get a vibe off of them as humans, not in a way that video conferencing just like really doesn't allow. Derek Jones Jr. was incredibly shy in his introductory press conference. Short answers, not super willing to elaborate. He, um, I don't, I don't have a good feel for him. Covington was much more open and, and animated in his, uh, uh, press conference compared to Derek Jones Jr. Um, also, just maybe a little more animated than I knew him to be because uh, role players don't get a ton of television interviews. And I hadn't interacted with him uh, prior to that, um, prior to his presser with the Blazers. So I don't have a good sense of sort of what they're like in the locker room. You know, I will say this Derek Jones Jr. has always been a guy sort of grinding to make it. So you can't imagine that he wasn't sort of like a a good dude in, in the heat locker room and in the, in the sun's locker room. And Robert Covington has, has also same kind of thing, you know, signed a four year non-guaranteed contract with Sam Hinkie's Sixers and grinded himself into a big deal with Brian Colangelo's Sixers, I believe. But you know, it's hard to be a role player in the league and be a jerk. So he's a guy who had to, who's been a role player in all of his stops. He's been a, he's been a very good role player um, in Philadelphia. You know, he's first team all NBA, first team all defense. So he's, you know, he's been an elite role player, but it's hard to be that type of complimentary part and be a jerk. So I don't have, I don't foresee either of them being um, sort of like, you know, issues in the locker room, but the Blazers, and I think those two guys specifically, um, they're going to be, you know, starters, it sounds like, but you're going to be the fourth and fifth options and that's a challenge. So we will, it's something to keep an eye on. I think it was really challenging for Mo Harkless when he was here to be the fifth option as a starter. And it was, uh, you know, Alfred Camino wasn't the same way, but other guys have kind of um, bristled at that. Uh, you know, there just are only so many shots to go around. And now you not only have Damon C.J., you're adding Carmelo Anthony to the mix, adding Rodney Hood's offense to the mix, Gary Trent Jr., Nurk, Ennis Cantor, all these, you know, there's just um, at some point, someone who is in the mode, the mold, excuse me, of, of Rocco and Derek Jones Jr. is going to be like, yo, I should, I, I need a bigger slice of the pie. I'm not sure those, either of those guys are wired to, to be that way, but it, if they are the type of player that would have, um, issue just because of the way that the um, pecking order shakes out here with the Blazers. Okay, next question comes from Ken who asks, what do our lineups look like against the best teams in the West, Lakers, Clippers, Nuggets, and do we have any glaring holes that we can't adapt to with this deeper roster? So I think against the Lakers, you maybe upsize a little bit to match their starting group. The Blazers don't have anyone to guard Anthony Davis. That's, you know, Nurk in his two playoff series has gone against Anthony Davis twice and looked terrible. Anthony Davis is one of the best players in the NBA. It's, um, he's made a lot of dudes look bad. <laughs> so, uh, Nurk, Nurk joins a, a, a storied list, but that's tough. Um, just sort of like speak, let me speak more generally as opposed to going through these one by one, uh, I think the Blazers' starting lineup matches well, but their interest in closing the game with Carmelo Anthony, which seems like that is very specifically the plan, adds some challenges because who does Melo guard and who do you leave on the court? Do you definitely leave Rocco on the court? 
or do you need to go bigger and try to squeeze Melo in at the three, which they really didn't have, they didn't want to do and didn't do until the until the bubble kind of made them with who was available on the roster. It's, I think, they have a lot of looks that can adapt. But if they're if and in the playoffs, I think those things change. You can say, hey, Melo, I know, dog, but sorry, you just you can't play the last four minutes of this game because they're killing us, and he'll be pissed. But you'll figure it out because this is the most important games of the year. But I think during the regular season, um, they do have a lot of versatility. Uh, my my worry for them for sort of glaring weaknesses, they don't have a ton of playmakers. Uh, you know, it's it's. I think their offense is going to be awesome, so it's a very small concern, but sort of secondary guys who can um, not only go get their own offense, because I think Mello and Rodney Hood can score in isolation okay, and uh, Gary Trent Jr. has shown sort of some, you know, pump fake pump fake and two dribble moves, uh, and obviously Damon C.J. are great at creating their own offense, but uh, create for other people, kind of just the secondary setup guys. I think that's that's the glaring hole for this, for this roster. Uh, it remains to be seen how good they're going to be on defense. I think they're going to be better. Um, if Robert Covington and Derek Jones Jr. push them into a place beyond where I think they'll end up, then um, they really won't have many holes. I think they're going to be like a middle-of-the-road defensive team, but if they're better than that, um, boy, howdy, is this, is this roster going to be fun. Next question comes from Lionel, who asks, if Harry Giles develops here in the way many have suggested he will, he will. what might Neal's plan be for keeping him around past his one-year contract and going forward? Surely they wouldn't have signed him for his upside if this weren't a possibility. I mean, I don't... Is Harry Giles going to play? What What is the scenario in which Harry Giles plays? Like, he's not going to play early. Uh, when Zach gets back, he's even deeper. I just... I think Harry Giles is a intriguing piece and like a a really good 14th man, but I don't think he's more than that. Like I don't I don't think this is a long-term marriage. I think this is the Blazers saying, you know, this guy could turn into something and it's good to just get him in the system and see what we think about him, but the Blazers they they have a young center. His name's Yusuf Nurkic. They have a young backup center. His name's Zach Collins. Um, I think there's a situation where if Giles is clearly better than Zach Collins, a crazy thing that won't happen, then you get into a strange situation where let's, you know, what let's try to re-sign Giles and figure it out versus and let Zach move on. But I just I just don't think Giles is gonna play. I think he's an intriguing piece, but I don't think I think this is a short-term relationship between the two. Next question comes from Brandon Sprague at Brandon Sprague on Twitter, who asks, do you miss me? I don't know. Yeah, kind of. I guess I miss Sprague. I miss the things that allowed us to be together. Like, give me a give me a Blazers game. Let me get some. Why can't you know, let's eat some dinner at the before a Blazers game. Talk shop. I miss that because that means we're in an NBA arena watching basketball at its highest level. But I mean, I'm keeping it. I'll keep it 10 million, dog. Like on a day-to-day basis, I miss my parents. I miss you. But yeah, but Sprague, have me on your radio program soon, dog. We can we we can catch up. You also asked the second question, Brandon, and it was, "Where's your confidence meter with Ant's season?" Neil Olshay and Dame really seem to think he's ready. Do they? Yeah, I know that. Um, Neil said we have a backup point guard. It's Anthony Simons, and he was emphatic. But I, but to me, Anthony Simons reads as the third point guard. I think Anthony Simons is very likely to get some DNPs. I mentioned it earlier in the show. I, I, I really do. I think the Blazers are going to roll with Damon CJ as their point guards, and then 
Ant is going to be in a battle for playing time with Gary Trent Jr., who he's not as good as, and maybe and maybe Rodney Hood, who he's, he's probably not as good as either. Um, I think long-term, Ant is still definitely part of the plans. Um you know, Dame has been a believer, and 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 Dame Dame Dame's even assessment of Ant was a little bit tempered. Like, I don't think we could have got a player that's better than him. And if we brought in a backup point guard, they're going to want to play more minutes, and it's such a limited role. It's like Ant is going to be good if we need to crack the glass for twelve minutes a night, and if we don't, we don't. So. I think they have dialed it back a ton because I, I think they know he wasn't ready and and touting him as he's definitely ready again is a mistake. So um, I if you, if you read that as them being confident in them, I am significantly less confident in him being a contributor this year. Um, he's but the thing is, the Blazers don't have to play him. You can just play Dame and CJ. Take CJ out early. Bring in Gary Trent Jr. Then then bring CJ back as your as your backup point guard. You can play Rodney Hood at the two, a position he's played in most other stops before he was here. That allows Derek Jones Jr. and Covington to play the three. It allows Covington and Mello to split time at the four. Eventually, Mello and Zach to split time at the four with Nurk and Ennis Cantor at the five. That's a whole freaking team, and it doesn't even it does not include that's that, that's a ten man rotation I just spelled out, and it doesn't include Amphrey. Simons, and it'd be hard for you to convince me that Ant deserves it over any of those 10 guys I just mentioned. Obviously, he's not competing with Ennis Cantor, but you get it. Thanks for the question, Sprague. Next question comes from Adam at Real Mike Stand on Twitter, who asks, CJ and Dame have both said they to quote CJ, have to do a better job of guarding. CJ said his priority was being aggressive at the point of attack, whereas Dame talks about being more accountable on defense. What, if anything, does that mean on the court? I mean, nothing, right? It means nothing. Um, you, The words mean zero. But uh, in general, I do think Damon Lode has been a much better on-ball defender. He's still not a great team defender. It's the, it, it's just the way the league is. If you're not long and, and t- tall and long, you're just not going to be as good on defense. Um, Dame is we'll say listed at six foot three. Um, so he's just, he's not, he's not going to be an elite defender in this league, but he has improved leaps and bounds as an on-ball defender. Like he can be at times like a really feisty, competitive on-ball defender. There were moments in Orlando when Dame was their best option guarding Jason Tatum. Like that is a wild thing, but, and you would have never said that about him three years ago, but he's really taking steps forward. He's not a great team defender. He's not, he's obviously not, he's just maybe not physically capable of being a big help, big time help defender. So I think the question is like, can CJ get up to the level where Dame is, where if you're right in front of him and you're going at him one-on-one, can he be a handful? I don't think CJ's there yet. Um, I think he's a significantly worse defender than Dame. Um, obviously you're going to still have the same physical limitations and stuff like that just with length. But, um, so while it's, you know, being better at the point of attack, maybe that just means better when the ball's right in front of you. Um, obviously, uh, like specifically what they're saying is, is they know that this team was terrible on defense last year and they're part of the problem. And as the two best players, apologies to Yusuf Nurkic, they have to take the responsibility. But like the quotes, this time of year, teams talking about improving on defense, that doesn't mean, that doesn't mean squat to me. Let's, let's talk about it in the middle of January. Okay. Let's, let's see them play some games and then we'll discuss, um, if they're, if they're tough talk at media day, um, really paid off. And, you know, have, let's get CJ up to the level of Dame as a defender, and then we'll talk. We'll talk even further. Okay, next question comes from Neil deGrasse Olshay. That's at Justin underscore B underscore Leak on Twitter who asks, After listening to Dame talking about how he could improve, I still wonder about CJ. 
what could re- could realistically CJ add to his game on both ends at this point, and how would it impact the Blazers' ceiling overall? Or do you think he's hit his maximum potential? And Ian Armstrong at Strong Comedy asks: Is CJ an All-Star level player who doesn't get enough credit because of being on a team with Dame slash Small Market slash etc.? Or is he really good but gets hyped up by us homers to be more than he is? So. Let's talk about CJ McCollum to close the show. I put all three of these questions together because we're we're closing the show talking CJ. Uh, and I, I think he's an interesting one, right? Because he's very clearly good, but he's also very, very clearly limited. On offense, the place where he needs to improve to take his game to the next level is he needs to be a, a, facil- a willing facilitator all the time. I'm not saying CJ should score less. I'm just saying there are moments when he has a... Dribble hesitation, crossover, dribble hesitation, step back, behind his back, spin off one foot, cash from 19 feet. And it's like, good God. And those are fun, man. He can dance and he's he's a maestro. But there's also those times when the 17 counter moves could just be maybe um, used to set up his own teammates. And there's been flashes of him when he was the lead guard for those six games that Dame missed this year, or this past season rather, where he looked like a, like a capable point guard. And I think coaxing that that mentality out of him where he um where he sets up his teammates more regularly is is where he needs to improve um he's a great offensive player it's uh, he just needs to help his teammates also be good on offense honestly if you look at his splits from the uh from the time that Dame missed and even after Dame returned his his assists were up so maybe he un- maybe he figured it out but i think that's where he needs to go Def- uh where he needs to prove on the other side of the ball i just talked about it i don't think he's going to be an elite team de- elite team defender elite help defender but if he was just a dog like if he was just someone that when you had the ball right in front of him you didn't want to mess with like dame has always been a good post defender cuz he's really strong and like really he's got a really strong core and you can't knock him off his spot if cj was that like someone you just couldn't post up because he was he was he was too strong and someone who you know uh dame's sort of like t- taking those one-on-one challenges dame loves to guard russell westbrook because he feels like he can really handle him if there was if if cj could take i i don't expect him to be an elite pick and roll defender i think he can still get he might still struggle there and i don't think he's going to be this guy who comes over from the weak side and makes crazy steals and stuff like that but like i said if the ball's right in front of him when your man has the ball and he's trying to go at you if cj was a guy who you could say oh he might get locked up that's where he could really improve. And a CGN all-star level player, this is like a great debate of Blazer fans, right, Ian? Um, I'm going to say no. And I think there's this idea that if he played in the East, he'd be a multi-time all-star. And that certainly might be true. But he is... He's probably a step down from the dudes who are all-stars. And that's not really a knock. In the West, that, that, that group is really, really, really good. I guess the argument would be, if you unleash CJ on a bad team, would he be Bradley Beal? And I know that my friend Eric Gunderson believes strongly that, yes, of course, CJ would become a 30-point-per-game scorer who averaged nearly seven assists if you unleashed him. But I worry that CJ is just a slight step below the the all-star guards. Like, look at the East last year. Kemba Walker, Trey Young, Kyle Lowry, Ben Simmons, Jimmy Butler. Chris Middleton, he's listed as a forward on the roster, but he could be considered a guard. He mostly played small forward for the Bucks, so I think it's pretty fair. Uh, ben Simmons also questionably a guard, but we'll we can we'll hash that out later. Is CJ demonstrably better than any of those players? I'm gonna say no. He's he hasn't he doesn't hasn't been what Kemba has been statistically in Charlotte. Obviously, CJ's playing another role. Um, 
he had Trey Young had a better year than CJ's had. Um, Kyle Lowry is just way better than CJ McCollum. He's better at winning. He's better at um, he's, he's better defender. He's just a better basketball player. Jimmy Butler is better than CJ. Ben Simmons is better than CJ. It's not close. Uh, I I've in the West, James Harden, Luka Doncic, Chris Paul, Russell Westbrook, Damian Lillard, Donovan Mitchell. All those players are better than CJ McCollum. The question is Donovan or excuse me, Devin Booker was an, was an injury replacement replaced Dame in the All Star game. The question is is is, is CJ Devin Booker if he goes somewhere else? And my question, my answer is maybe, but I don't think definitively. And I don't think it's um, I don't think it's insulting to say that CJ McCollum is one of the twenty five players best players in the league or one of the thirty five best players in the league, but probably not one of the fifteen best or like certainly not one of the fifteen best. I don't think that's I just think it's true. He's really good at what he does. He's an elite scorer, an efficient scorer. I know he started missing free throws last year, and that was really strange, but he led the league in free throw shooting one year. He's certainly capable of it. Maybe that was just a focus problem. I just think he is. He's somewhat limited in his game, and maybe that's because of his role. So maybe he could be unleashed somewhere and be really good. But here's the thing about making the All-Star team. The way that you get multiple All-Stars is you'd be really, really good. If CJ McCollum was that level of player, the Blazers would not have maybe struggled to land multiple All-Stars in the past. If they're a really good team at the All-Star break... CJ's on the ballot. He's under consideration. Um, impact on winning has to be factored in here. I just I know that there's some egalitarianness in when it comes to the when it comes to all stars. They want to pick guys from separate teams, right? But the teams that are really good, the elite teams get multiple all stars. And if CJ McCollum could propel this team as the number two to an elite status, he would be on an all star team. You do it by winning games. All that said, this is sneaky CJ McCollum's best chance he's had to make an all-star team. Let me lay it out for you real quick. Russell Westbrook's gone. Chris Paul, he joined Devin Booker. They're going to vulture each other for those spots. Instead of competing with Devin Booker with that last spot, they're just going to give it to Chris Paul and the Suns aren't going to get a second guard. James Harden, well, he's not reporting to camp. That fool might just force his way, trade to the Brooklyn Nets, and be out of the, out of the Western Conference. So that would mean that the only absolute locks at guard, Dame, Donovan Mitchell, and Luka Doncic. And some combination of Chris Paul and Devin Booker, like one or the other, right? They're gonna you're gonna pick one. So this is the year that the Blazers are really good. And there's a there's a space open in the West all of a sudden. This could be the year that CJ does it. I mean, he won't. I'm not picking it, but this this is as good as chances he's had, um, particularly if James Harden continues to pout. Y'all, we went a little long talking CJ here in the third segment, but I wanted to, I, I wanted to air it out. I had, I had my piece to say, and and there was a lot of similar questions. A lot of people were curious about CJ McCollum, his development, or his sort of like, can he take those incremental steps? Is so important to the Blazers' future. Like the difference in him being really good and him being great is the difference in the Blazers being the sixth seed and the second seed in the West, right? If he takes this step forward at 29 and he's um, this a more polished version than of himself, the Blazers are going to be even better. That he's a he's such a big part. Um, he's their second most important player when it comes to the postseason. Now it's just trying to see. Now it's time to see some regular season magic from CJ McCollum. Like I said, we do Mailbag Monday each week. It doesn't always run this long. I try to keep it tighter, but this is just how it happened this week, y'all. If you want to get involved, tweet at me at Mike G. Rich on Twitter or send me an email, lockedonblazerspod at gmail.com. Do me a favor, tell your friends about this podcast. It's available wherever you already get podcasts. Appreciate you listening. Talk to you soon. <laughs>